Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, it's Hubaloo again, the founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. It's the contraction of synergy and vision. We create a common vision. And then we create synergy from that common vision. And so that's like ensemble in music where people work together at a higher level. Skilled people raise the bar when they work together. So my guest today is a new friend, a special friend, a very gifted friend. And she's mm-hmm. a she helps people craft their stories. But we're going to go into some more details specifically. So I'm going to ask her to introduce... Uh, yourself, Melissa Reeves, introduce yourself, a little bit about your background, and tell people why you're choosing to do this kind of work. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Hugh, for having me as your guest. I absolutely love your background. The fact that you have, you're you're an orchestra maestro is just brilliant. I have, you're the first I've ever met. So it's, it's a joy. Uh, so I'm Melissa Reeves and I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Story Fruition. I'm based here in Seattle, but I work with people all over the globe. I get up every morning with a spring in my step, knowing that I can help people with their story. And why is that important? Because That's what we are. We're human beings and we are story machines. But many, many, many people, especially in business, and when I say business, that means nonprofits, that means colleges, that everyone's in business at some point. And that question that comes up, how'd you get into this? And people sometimes are deers in headlights on answering that, or they answer it in a linear fashion and they just start to rattle off their, their LinkedIn profile. I've done that myself in the past. When really we have incredible moments in our lives that showed us to our path. And so what I do is I help people find those moments and then craft them into a beautiful story that they can tell that has the audiences leaning in and listening to them because it's so compelling. So I oftentimes will say, I don't want you to just be a great storyteller. I want you to become a mind movie maker because that's what's happening. The audience is listening and you are putting pictures and sounds and smells in our heads and you don't even realize what you're doing until you start working with someone like me. Then you know what you're doing and it becomes deliberate. And when you become deliberate, you become entertaining and educational and effective. Whoa, whoa. I'm I'm just so excited by that definition. So you've got this mind movie in your background. Speak more about that's just such a descriptive term. Talk about that a little bit, please. Sure. Well, I'm also, so my background has been in sales and marketing and and advertising technology. I've done the corporate thing for a long time, but I've also been an actor since the time I was nine years old. I always got the leads and I was always loving it. I think I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was six, but the actress life kind of scared my father to death. He's like, she's going to eat potatoes. It's awful. (laughs) (laughs) And and he's like, you, he goes, Missy, when I was six years old, he goes, Missy, you got to go into sales. I'm like, why? He goes, because you never hear no. (laughs) 
<laughs> then when I was 13 years old, we were doing one of those magazine drives where everyone goes to the door and you get people to buy subscriptions. And this gentleman opens the door. He's super tired. He's exhausted. He just wants to sit down with a drink and watch TV. And I'm the last person he wants to talk to. And he just politely shoves me off. He's like, bye-bye, thank you. And as I'm walking down the drive, I'm like, that wasn't very good. I don't think I really presented my magazines very well to him. And I knock on the door again. He does not expect to see me. And I said, sir, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I, I can tell you've had a long day. Yeah, I have, I have. And, and you probably just want to sit down and just have a drink and, and watch TV. He's like, yep, that's exactly what I want to do. Then you need TV guide. And I <laughs> And I showed him, I'm like, look, it gives a little synopsis. You'll know exactly what to watch. And he's just looking at me. And of course he buys, because how can you say no to that? And that's when my father was right. I should go in sales. So I did. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's a really important point, because whether we're um, leading a church or synagogue, religious institution, a college, uh, local charity, we're in the sales business. You are. Selling the concept for people to support. We're not asking for money. We're presenting a position for people to say, oh, I want to participate. So a lot of it depends on this, this story thing. So in, in this, um, this episode, I want to hear some of your tips about how do we create effective stories. Mm -hmm. We want to get results. And I think the biggest barrier is us. <laughs> we haven't honed in on the skill of convincing people. And um, because we we have all these, well, it starts with the word nonprofit. You know, we have all these these myths about what we do. And so um, you're going to give us a refreshing view of, oh, this is what it could be. And so we're marketing, we're selling, we're closing a sale. Actually, it's for mutual benefit because people want to do good. And we're just opening the door for them to be able to do that. So we're going to talk about storytelling in general, but I want to ask you about specifically when we're presenting our organization's uh, value proposition for people to write a check to a grant maker, to a corporate sponsor, to a private individual, you know, how do we craft a story that, that will say, Oh, like that TV guide thing. You need this. This is going to make a difference. Yeah. I was going to improve his life. And so you're right. Nonprofits, you are selling, you're selling compassion. You're selling hope. You're selling recovery. You're selling human kindness in most cases. And all of those stories are laced with oxytocin, which is important to know because that is a neurotransmitter that when we present the story and we are showing human beings having the problem that your organization is there to solve for, those humans, and when we hear that story, you literally are infusing oxytocin emotionally. And when we've got that, oxytocin also is known for giving. And so your heart opens and so can the checkbook, right? But what we need to do is we need to see and hear and feel the characters, the humans that you are serving. And in, I have been surprised at how many times I will see executive directors simply go right to a pie chart and talk about the constituents and, and their percentages and their graphs and their numbers. Now that's important, but if you open with that, it's a missed opportunity because my heart isn't open. As soon as I see a graph, my analytical mind starts to move and I go maybe 5% of my brain might be working on that. And I'm taking in the numbers. I'm looking at the logic. I'm seeing if I can even understand the graph. I am not emotionally connected. But if you start with a story of a human being that 
you know, was struggling on the streets. And we can hear him and see him and touch him and feel him because you're so vivid at the way you describe it. Now my heart's open. And then you show me a chart that shows me how many people of that guy are like that out on our streets. Now that chart has heart. Oh, I just started that chart has heart. I'm going to use that. <laughs> so that's, that's why it's important for nonprofits and any business, quite honestly, colleges, recruiting people, everything um, to open with a well-crafted story that will hook us. I think um, undoing some of the myths um, and many people in this sector, education, community charities, religion, um, don't yeah think sales is you know it's 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 unfair advantage. It's a trick when really sales is connecting a need with a resource to fill that need. So if it's a win-win situation or no deal, and so we we think of certain types of salespeople which discredit that profession, but really. It's an honorable process. People need things and we connect with them. So um, I want to hear some stories about, about your work. But before we do that, um, I want to show people your book and tell them, tell them about this book. I have to find mm -hmm. it first. So hang on just one second. I opened the book. So tell us about your book first. Sure. So I'm a storytelling coach, right? So I work with a lot of clients from nonprofits to corporate levels, CFOs, CEOs, founders, investor pitches. I do a lot of that work. And over the course of the years, I have found beautiful stories, right? And so this book is actually, because everyone says, you should tell your story, tell your story. And no one tells you, well, okay, I'll, that makes sense. I should tell my story, but how do I do it? We're not taught storytelling. In, in school. I wasn't. I don't know if you had a storytelling class in elementary school or high school. I, that'd be great, but you're not. And so I always say, give yourself grace. It's not your fault. If you are telling a story and you meander around here, or you, you know, you're not introducing characters the way I would want you to do it. It's okay. So I wrote this book. And so this book, The Storyteller's Mind Movie, will be coming out this fall. And it really is a hands-on guide of how to do it. So if you never take one of my workshops or you never bring me in, you can get my workshop with this book. If you have hired me for a workshop, you get this book to remember the workshop that's packed with story prompts that will help find those aha moments that were influential in your life. It has, it shows you how to introduce a character, show us the relationship between you and that character. What are the stakes and why does that matter? And then where are you in life when the story begins? How old were you? Where, where were you mentally, physically, spiritually? Um, were you down and out? Or were you in a great place and then something knocked you to your knees? We need to know those sort of things because your mind movie is filled with tension and it's filled with, with varieties of joy and varieties of shock. And there's just all sorts of things that are happening. And so this book shows you those core elements so that you can start to craft your stories so that they're more vivid and more compelling because you are, you are the orchestrator. You are the one. So you conduct music into our heads and, and we get to listen and joyfully listen to that music. I look at a story like that. A story has beats, it has pauses, it has fast paces, it has slowdowns, soft, you know, it's very much sometimes I feel like when I get into the performance part of my work, I do feel a little bit like a maestro. <laughs> well, you are. So you're, you're composing the story and you're, you're conducting a transformation 
because it's a transformation in, oh, in, in there's a response I love. I, I used to be in sales. I owned a retail camera store and sold a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when people objected, we could reframe the objection as a request for information. It meant they didn't really understand what we were ta- what we were presenting. And too often we give up. So let's unpack what makes up a good story. Are there components of a good story? Talk about what's what's good a good format for creating a story. Well, I kind of started that when I was talking about that every story has characters that have relationships, and then there's stakes, and then there's the 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 being. So you have to you have to paint. So think of my mind before you start a story as just a blank slate, right? And so I want to set the scene. Starting your story is my favorite part, but sometimes it's the hardest part because you don't really know like what door should I go in to start this story? And you want to start it in the most compelling place so that we know who you are, where you are in life. And then when the first character comes in, we know who they are quickly. And we can tell your relationship by the way you might even inflect your voice to show a client or to show the character and your relationship. Um, and then you're also painting the scene. So, you know, are you in a room that's hot and muggy or are you in a room that is absolutely the most glorious, luxurious room you've ever been in? And, it, and you know, you can start to describe the ceilings and the windows and things like that. Most people don't do that. They'll just be like, I walked into my client's office. That's it. I can't see the client. I can't see the office. I can make it up in myself. I can, I can make up an office in my head, but why don't you help me? Why don't you help me see that office? It's easy to do. So it's authentic. It's heartfelt. Mm-hmm. It's genuine to who you are. Now, it would, would seem to me that, oh, I know this is true. So the, the context of the story. So is it the first time we're meeting a person? Is it a follow-up session? Do we have a relationship with a person? What do we know about the person? What do they know about us? So right. where do we put the story in terms of the process? Well, that's where story mining happens in the process. So when I'm working with a client and we're trying to formulate what I call their story fruition, they're, they're, they're like how they got into this business or why they do this business every day. It's like there was a series of events that led them to be that executive director right? It's not like they just woke up and someone handed them a crown and said, you're ED. <laughs> you know, they may have experienced homelessness, right? Maybe if it, let's say it's a nonprofit that has, oh, I, I can actually, you know, say that I, I've got one. I work with a nonprofit that helps um, underserved kids learn STEM so that they can have careers in aviation and aeronautics. Okay. Wow. wow. The executive director could fly an airplane at 16 before she could fly a car. And she also became an adopted parent of three Vietnamese foster children at the age of 25. And so she learned what it was like to have a BIPOC or a Black Indigenous person of color, a BIPOC family, and how the education system wasn't really balanced for them. You know, they were learning a second language. So she became compassionate in her journey in life of what it's like to be a first immigrant family in this, in this country, going to schools that are underserved financially. And she realized, I can teach them. I can teach them STEM through aviation. We can trick them. We can teach them rate times time equals distance by saying you have an airplane that's taking off in Boston and it needs to get in San Francisco. You're going X amount of miles and she'd start to treat them and the kids ate it up. 
they ate it up. And now it makes a lot of sense why she sits at the top of that organization helping these children. Wow. So, you know, there's this um, set of myths that we tell ourselves when we hear the word nonprofit. We can't spend money marketing. We can't spend money on consultants. We can't, we can't, we can't. And so it would seem to me that you liberate people from those misconceptions. So you actually do work with nonprofits. And, and let me clarify here. Your book says it's for business leaders. We are, as you said before, running, running, it's the business of the nonprofit. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you have to work a little bit harder, right? Because when someone's feeling philanthropic, could they give to animals or could they give to cancer or could they give to homelessness or drug rehab? I mean, there's a lot of heartstrings that are being pulled. So who's going to win? The people who are going to win those donations are going to be the ones that touch the heart. And it's the story that you craft. The st- and when I say craft, I don't mean to be crafty. I mean to compose, to create, to, to if, think of it like being an artist so that every core story that your organization needs to tell, right? And that could be the founder's story, like how the organization, organization came to its own fruition, as well as you're, it's your, let's say you're sitting, you're sitting in the hotel ballroom and everyone's kind of buzzed and they've got their paddles ready to, to bid on that home in Hawaii because it's going to be the fundraiser. You know, the executive director can warm that up by telling a story of this past year's significant events serving the community that they're all here today. And then bringing forward a story about a human being that was down and out. And because of the generosity of the organization and the people and the talent that they could attract because the donations from the constituents' hearts came in, can now open the hearts and really set the tone so that your fundraising can be increased because people are going to be like, oh my God, oh, I have to be a part of that. That's what we want to have happen. So it would occur to me as you're talking that there's front end stories where you raise the donation money, but there's back end stories where you affirm the donation, you create a story around what actually happened, which encourages that person to continue and more people. So talk about the context of the front story and then what, for lack of a better term, the back end story. Yeah. Well, I think the front end story, you know, that there's many. So when I'm working with clients, we create a story library. We actually start mining for different stories and each person on the team might say, well, I'm going to contribute the stories about education and like how we educate people. I'm going to tell stories about how we counsel people. I'm going to tell stories about um, how we we send people out, you know, to to handle a big crisis situation, you know. So there's all different sorts of stories. Every single one of those. So I could be maybe maybe I'm the business development partnership head at the nonprofit. I might want to pull a crisis story that we overcame from the library. And in that library, we have a storyboard that shows me the scene so that I know how to memorize it, and a video that shows me how to tell it. Those all can be at times front end stories. And sometimes they could be the back, like, like this is what happened story. Um, but like how your organization came into its being, who are the founders, that's for sure a front, a front story. But I don't think it's the most interesting. I think the most interesting story are the ones that are that are reporting what's going on here and now today because of the efforts. My brain is exploding with possibilities here. So the, 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 there's some common themes that I hear for 33 years. Hey, 
people don't understand what we do, or my board is not engaged. What you just described is a way for every board member to have a story in their pocket so they can tell the story. And that's a way to get them engaged. Now, they're not asking for money. They're not out making pitches. They're not making corporate presentations. They're telling a story. So there's several, several, this is a employment in many, many, it's a fundraising pitch of a presentation. Let's not use pitch. It is a board empowerment piece that everybody feels like they're part of presenting, but it's also a creative tool for people in the organization to say, okay, I have a story based on what I experienced has happened. And so what you just talked about is having that, that library for everybody to draw from. That is a powerful concept. Wow. Yeah. And it deepens your dedication because you start to learn, we did this and then we did that. Did you hear this story? We did that. Oh my God. And then they, did you hear that story? That was unbelievable. And so you get this energy that starts to, to like get momentum across your organization because your stories are being told and being learned. Because another thing is it's not just your story that you're telling. Most of the time in business from nonprofits, education, and even corporate level, they're telling other people's stories. They're telling about a success story. They're called case studies. I call them case stories. And they weren't there, but they still have to represent as if they were because they're representing the company. So that's the other thing is it's like infusing storytelling into your organization, your salespeople, your business development, your executive director, your financial people, everyone uses storytelling to move the needle. What if you had a story Somebody could tell a story every board meeting or every staff meeting so that people get to rehearse this. What we don't do in, in non-musical situations is we don't rehearse. The very right. musical ensembles in the world rehearse for every performance, but you know, we think we got it so we don't rehearse and we continue to do things in a mediocre fashion. So let's talk about the different forms the stories take. So as we're making presentations, we're, we're either presenting for a donor or we're presenting for a volunteer. We want people to volunteer for our advisory council or our board of directors or for committees. So that's another story. And we don't think about that. We just, we do it very poorly. And then we complain that nobody steps up. Well, look in the mirror. We didn't do a good job of convincing them that it was worthy work. So there's the verbal story, which um, needs to be not too long, but long enough. There's the written story which is you're talking to somebody this in by email here's here's a story that you might mm -hmm. and then there's the the video or slide deck where we're presenting to a group and have a story in there so talk about the different settings for a story and why is it important to have it in multiple formats yeah absolutely great awesome awesome question so it is interesting because most of us think well i've got a story let me write it down and that is something that you can actually control a little bit. You can, you can watch the English, you can, you know, but you have to be, you have to describe it. So you'd have to say, and he felt hopeless. And when he said, sadly, I don't feel like my life is going to continue. Okay. You can write that. But when you're telling a story now, now you've lost something. Cause so if someone's reading your story, you know, have you ever read a book and you're reading it and then you kind of like your mind goes somewhere like, oh, that reminds me when I was a kid and I had a thing like that. And your, your eyes are still going across the page. And then all of a sudden you realize you, you spaced out. You can go back to the book and you can reread the paragraphs, right? You can go back and reread the paragraphs, get back on track. I always say it's the trains on the track. In storytelling, if you say something, like you use an acronym, okay? You use an acronym really freely at the beginning. 
and I'm in the audience and I don't know what that acronym means. Okay. Let's say you use the word SRAM. I'm just going to make something up. So, you know, and we performed it using the SRAM method. I'm going to be like, what's the SRAM method? I don't know SRAM method. It's SRAM, sugar, ham. I might start trying to figure it out. I'm looking around the room going, do you know what SRAM is? I don't know what SRAM is. Oh, oh my gosh. They're still talking. Oh, oh my gosh. The train's derailed. And now I'm running after the train. <laughs> I can't catch up because you as the storyteller weren't sensitive enough to use a term to define it. And all you would have had to do is say SRAM. It's our method of, and then you, you define it. Then after that, you can say SRAM as much as you want because you've helped everyone in the room, including your grandmother, understand what you do, okay? And so storytelling has more uh, emphasis. Now, moving into a deck. This is where a lot of my work happens because this is where I think most people are derailing the train because everyone thinks that every slide needs to have every piece of information you've ever learned about your organization throughout your entire 30-year journey. Preach it, preach it. <laughs> yeah, and there's charts and there's sentences and it's written in reverse and it's dark and it's like, and what happens? You took me out. I either wondered what you were talking about or I just wandered away because you overwhelmed me. And so your presentation decks are telling your story. Your slides should be supporting you, not usurping you. Because as soon as you put a slide up, so my slide, like if you look at my background, there's a lot, there's not very much going on here, but what is it doing? Create a storyteller's mind movie. And then I just have an image of these kids in a box with little red balloons and they are flying high. Because that's the emotion I want when someone is actually hearing me tell a story that I'm taking them on a journey and they just feel like they're flying with me. Okay. Now I could have taken this and I could have said 57% of all children like to have their imagination and then have all these sentences saying, and now they're on a journey with me. And you're like reading it and you're absorbing it. And what's happening again? Stop listening. Stop listening. You've put something in front of me. You're asking me to read it. Some people read faster. Some people read slower. I'm, a, I'm always the one that reads too slow. I'm, I'm not that bright. And so <laughs> they, they move on to the next slide and I'm like, I'm out. I don't even know where they are anymore. And so your presentation decks need to be very well, they need to tell the whole story. So the very first slide in my work is always a story. So it could be a constituent success story, okay, that, that you helped that homeless guy. Okay. And then the next slide might be, and here's what that person represents in the community. And now you can do a graph. And then this is who we are. And just have pictures of your people helping that homeless man. Okay. And then maybe, maybe the maybe, and it could be, and here's why we need your help. Because the funding will do this, the funding will do that, the funding will do this, we'll be able to expand and you will be a part of it. So your entire deck, is a story. Don't derail the train. Keep the train on the tracks. <laughs> and help people focus. I see uh, in my my service club in the mornings, we have a lot of presenters and they put everything they're going to say on the slide. And yep. I think, well, why are you here? We can just read the slides. And yep. so actually it's a, it's a deterrent from people paying attention to what you're saying. So I, I'm- And they a, can't remember it all either. No, it's anchor text and a, and a really catchy image. Then they're going to listen to you, but you focused in on the essence of what you're talking about. So then they're going to be, mm, let me listen to this. So we we do a lot of things to defeat what we're doing. So talk about 
let's I mentioned it before rehearsal so you got the story crafted and you're gonna go tell it well wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute did you rehearse it have you tried it out and got some feedback from people talk about rehearsal absolutely the key it really is so this is where a lot of people want to wing it I'm just gonna wing it and when they wing it they're not really giving honor to their audience because they, they are going to meander they're going to be all over the place and they're going to frustrate your audience. It happens. I just saw it the other day where one guy was telling a story and he was over here and he told a side story and then came back to the story. Then he side storied over here. And literally I was like, this point, right? And you don't want to do that to your audience. So when you rehearse, what happens is, is that you start to, you start to know each scene and where it's going and all of that meandering gets cut. It goes away and then you become extremely interesting. And it's way more fun because you know where you're going with the story. You know how it starts. You know what the middle is. You know where the tensions are. You know when you know when they're going to gasp. Because every time you tell the story, you need to tell it as if it's the first time you've told it. And every time you do tell it, it will be told differently, which is really fun. There's no, I don't script any stories with my clients. I only storyboard because I want them to relax. I want them to have fun with it, but I want them to be very, you know, not succinct because that's kind of contradicting what I just said, but do you know what I mean? Like, I want that story to unfold beautifully, but they might stop and park a little bit in one scene because who they're talking to might enjoy this one particular scene a little bit more because you got to know your audience. And so you might want to hit some scenes a little bit harder depending on who you're talking to or edit scenes out because of who you're talking to. Well, you know, it, your your point of respecting the person in front of you um you know i've heard people and i think why didn't you just spend a couple of minutes why don't you just spend a couple of minutes and rehearse this so i can really we're in the way we create a barrier and so um um getting it right because you may not get a second chance especially if you're raising money so rehearsing it, let me let me share with them. Um, your website is storyfruition.com. And here's a picture of it for those of you watching the video. If you're listening to the podcast, it's story, F-R-U-I-T-I-O-N, fruition.com. So Melissa, what will they find when they go to that website? They're going to find a lot. I mean, they're going to see, they're going to learn from other clients how effective it can be. Um, I have a lot of case stories on the site. They can learn about my private coaching. They can learn about group sessions. And then also if they want to see me in action as a storyteller, um, under the more there, you can actually see Melissa's storytelling because I do walk my talk. I have been surprised at how many people who, are, you know, there's not a lot of us that are saying that they're storytelling coaches. But, um, and then I say, oh, well, where have you performed? And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, where have you, where have you stepped on a stage and been vulnerable and told a story? And I have, I, I'm on the moth and I do podcasts and um, NAMI. I do, so there's lots of different types of stories too. So there's business storytelling, there's nonprofit storytelling, there's mental health storytelling and social advocacy storytelling are just a few of the areas that I have expanded my own storytelling in. So um, mental health, which would be very nonprofit friendly, um, I know a lot about from my own experiences about obsessive compulsive disorder, which is OCD, and it has run through my family. And I have told through NAMI a 10 minute story, and it starts off with me being a small child and going through an undiagnosed existence with OCD. 
and what that was like for me going through my life and, and then having it happen to my kid was really hard. But what did we learn? We learned resilience. We learned the power of the mind. We learned the power of human support because my daughter got into a program that they knew exactly what they were doing to help her control. Because OCD, OCD is a, and I'm, I'm talking about this because my mission when I tell that story is so that people can understand and respect OCD. So many people make jokes about it. They'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm so organized today. That's just my OCD flaring. I'm like, no, OCD is a mind prison. Okay. The reason why someone's tapping isn't because it's just fun. They're tapping because they believe if they don't tap, that something bad could happen. Can you imagine yeah. walking around the planet thinking you made an airplane crash because you didn't tap 17 times before you got out of bed? That's what goes on in an OCD mind. And so when I tell that story and pe I, sh okay, because one thing that's really important in storytelling is it's not, don't tell me, show me. Show, don't tell. That's, that's like a number one. A lot of books will talk about that. And so mental health stories absolutely should be a show, right? And when I finished the talk, I had a woman walk up to me. I had two women walk up to me. One said, thank you for showing me my sister. I now understand why she was like that. How did you feel about her before that? I wanted to choke her. I thought she was overdramatic. I thought she was stupid. She was always upstaging. But now I know from your story that she can't help it. And now we can get her help. And then another woman came up and she says, I'm in HR for a really big software company and um, I will never crack an OCD, OCD joke again, ever. Because now I know. So you can, you can change lives with good storytelling. That's the impact. And so the the vulnerability piece that it wasn't about you, it was about the object of that story. And you you talked about the reason for that story and how it and they proved it. You weren't they didn't say, oh, poor you. No, they said, you've helped me understand. And that's a profound difference. We tend to get into the weeds also. So sticking to the point and crafting the story. We want to do this head story with charts and graphs and facts and numbers when in fact we've got to connect with the heart yeah. then then they're going to be interested in those numbers so melissa um i'm so excited i want to get off here and start my story upgrade <laughs> process so uh, how old were you where were you what was your state of mind like that's what i'd start doing with you <laughs> i always joke that when someone tells me a story i'm like just relax if i were an interior designer and i walked in your house i might fluff a pillow sorry can't help it <laughs> so when someone tells me a story i'm always like it so writing the book did that even more. I was like, it is so important when you start a story. If you walk away with anything today, when you tell someone a story, start with your age. Start with your age. And here's why. It places me, it places you in my head. So if you said, when I was a kid, I used to love to sell lemonade, right? Stop. Were you six? Were you 12? Were you 16? Were you 19? Right? I need to know that because at six, I'm going to place you at six. I'm going to see you at six. And I'm going to know your mental capabilities probably at six versus 12, right? So when you say I'm 12 years old and I've got a lemonade stand, you know, and I'm going to market it, right? I'm already seeing like, okay, they've got cognitive thinking, the analytical thinking's going. So it's really important to start with your age um, on all stories. 
Fat is a key point. There's lots of key points. Um, re reminds me of the quote from uh, the painter, Vincent van Gogh. He mm. says, I dream my painting, and then I paint my dream. Ooh. You have to create the whole idea, and then you do the process going forward. So, Melissa, you can find her at storyfruition.com, and there is a contact button, and you can you can contact her and get your get your energy fix here get your story up to par and uh, melissa i'm i'm very inspired i learn from every presenter uh, every tuesday 304 times in a row but <laughs> i've learned another set of things today that's so important to the work that we do what's a final thought that, or challenge you'd like to leave people with today value your stories you've been walking the planet for decades and you have wisdom to share and you can do it. And, and just, you know, I always say, tell your stories and tell them well, because you will change the world when you do it. You will. So worthy. Melissa Reeves, thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you for having me. And I mean it, tell your stories. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>